Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Good evening. Oh, it's great to see you. Welcome. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. Welcome to the Modesto campus here in the worship center. It's great to see you. It's great to worship Jesus Christ together. And I'm glad to be here and I'm glad you're here also. Welcome to everybody who's with us online. If it's your first time here, I'd love to meet you. I will be in the lobby in the Welcome Center right after the gathering. And if this is your first time, I'd love to say hi. And I'll be right out there after the gathering. Come by, say hi. I'd love to meet you, whoever you came with. And we're glad to have you here. You probably saw there was something in your way when you went to sit down today. And there is a pen and an envelope and a commitment card. And I'm going to end my time teaching sharing about how my wife and I have interacted in this process we're going to spend some time praying together as a church. We're going to hear from one of our elders, Mark Kleiderlein, and then we're going to have opportunity to bring our commitments to the Lord. My wife and I have been looking forward to this weekend for a long time, and we're really excited to be in this weekend together. Today, we're going to be continuing in our series called Built to Last, Built to Last, Equipping Faith that is built to last in a decaying culture. It's a series that we have partnered with a project. And the project is to replace well-worn portable buildings right out this direction on the Modesto campus with a brand new 18,000 square foot gospel ministry space dedicated to kids and students right out that direction on the Modesto campus. And we're really excited. And tonight we're gonna continue to cast a vision for that. We gave out packets the first two weeks, and then we began mailing them to our church family. And if you didn't receive a packet, and that's something that you still would like to have, just let us know. Write down on the Connect card tonight, and you can turn that Connect card in next to any of the doors. Uh, there's a box there you can put the Connect card. Just let us know you need a packet, a built-to-last packet, and we'll get one to you. Uh, we, we want everybody to be able to have the information in that packet. Well, during week one, we provided a general overview, really an outline for this teaching series and how it's going to kind of walk us through being prepared for really what we're going to do together tonight. In week one, we looked at trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord as a church family, trusting the Lord as individuals, and trusting the Lord that the Lord can do these things in our church family. So week two, we looked at equipping, that we'd be an equipping church. Week three, faith, that we would live by faith. Week four was last week. We looked at built to last. In other words, what is ministry that's going to be eternal and it's going to last? It's not going to fade. This week, week five, we're going to be looking at the decaying culture. We're going to be in Romans chapter one, and we're going to end our time 
uh, talking about the commitment card. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at biblical stewardship. And then week seven, we're going to look at celebrating God's provision. And it's on week seven that we're planning to give God credit for what God is doing in our church family through this series. And we're going to share whatever the amount is of the commitments that have come through uh, that we will be doing together this weekend. We're going to share that. And then on week seven, it's also an opportunity for us to begin giving towards this project to complete this building. So this is week five, week five. And we're going to consider the decaying culture that we're living in. And a great passage for us to see how a culture decays is Romans chapter 1. So if you want to take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 1, I'd encourage you to do that. The verses will all be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we have a team that is ready to pray for for people after the gathering. It's in a room called the altar room. It's, It's just a room we pray for people in. We have Bibles. If you need a Bible, come to that team afterwards, and that team will get you a Bible. We want to make sure everyone has a copy of the Word of God. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 32. It begins in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Man, it starts strong right there. I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. The gospel is about the perfect life of obedience that Jesus lived. The gospel is about the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for our sin. The gospel is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead unto new life. The gospel is about Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, ascending to heaven back to the throne room of God. The gospel is about Jesus Christ asking the Father to send the Holy Spirit of God to live in the life of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the church. This is the message of the gospel. It's the message that has radically transformed many of our lives. Our lives have been transformed because of the message of the gospel. And Paul is writing to the believers in Rome and he's saying, I am not ashamed of this message. This message is good news. It has transformed my life. And I am not ashamed of the gospel. I I'm going to continue to share the gospel. For it is the power of God. It's the power of God. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do to serve. There's a lot of ways that we can use the gifts that God has given us. And there's a lot of hard work that we can do. But there is one thing that no one in this room can fabricate. And that is the power of God at work. The power of God belongs to God. It's his power. It's he who is working. And what Paul is saying is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God. 
It's the power of God at work in the lives of people for a purpose. And that purpose is salvation. It's the power of God at work in the lives of human beings for the purpose of salvation. And it is accessed by everyone who believes, has faith in Jesus Christ. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first. And the reason it's saying to the Jew first, we go into our Old Testament and we see how God called Abraham. And God did something special with a man named Abraham. And he called him to go to a new land that was going to be a land of promise. He called him to have a son who would be the son of promise. And he called him to multiply into a great nation, a nation of promise, the nation of Israel. So to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in this context, also to the Greek means everyone who is not Jewish. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm really thankful for the also to the Greek. Now, I am not of Greek descent, but it includes everyone who was not Jewish. That's the context here. And so it comes to a kid from Modesto. And I'm thankful that the gospel is the salvation for me who believes a kid from Modesto. For in the righteousness, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God. Now the righteousness of God is God's perfection, his justice, his perfect nature. He is totally complete, he is totally perfect, and in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It is revealed. The perfect nature of God is revealed in the message of the gospel. From faith, as God has called people to faith, and we see that clearly in our Bibles, he, he writes a story of faith and he calls people to trust him. The righteousness of God is revealed in those people's lives who are now following the Lord in faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith. It's still calling people to faith, is still calling people to follow the Lord in faith. And in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. How can I live in the righteousness of God? Well, it's living by faith in the righteousness of God. Living by faith faith in the righteousness of God. And this is the theme of the epistle, of the letter of the book of Romans in our Bible. This is the theme here, that the righteous would live by faith. And it's, it's about believing God, believing him, trusting God with our lives. It's about being humble, our lives being humble before a holy and righteous God, living by faith in the righteousness of God. Now, we are gonna end in this same place. We're starting in this place, living by, the, by faith in the righteousness of God, and we are gonna end looking at this again, living by faith in the righteousness of God. But in the passage, there is an abrupt change in tone. 
very, very abrupt change in tone. It goes from revelation of God's gospel to the revelation of God's wrath. From the revelation of God's righteousness to the revelation of God's wrath. In verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. So we've looked at God has righteousness, but God also has wrath. And there may be some who would say, well, the God I serve isn't a God who has wrath. And I would say to you, then the God you serve is not God. Because what the scriptures teach is that God has righteousness. We just read the verse. And what the scriptures also teach is that God has wrath. And to take his righteousness and to leave his wrath is not to take him at all. Because the God who is, is a God who has righteousness. And the God who is, is a God who has wrath is a God who has love, is a God who has holiness. And we don't get to take a piece of God that we don't like and, and throw it aside. God is who he is, whether we like him or not. He's not dependent on whether we like him. God exists apart from our preference. And in this text, it gets very serious and it's an abrupt change of tone. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, from the throne room of the king who is sovereign God over all of creation. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against. There is an opponent that the wrath of God comes against. There is an opposition that the wrath of God comes against. And what is it? It is against all. And here we're going to see something described. I'm going to call it a two-for-one sin. It's going to list two things, but it's actually one sin. It's going to give two descriptions, but it's one sin. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That's having irreverence to God. That's the first part. And unrighteousness. That's having immorality before God. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against this two-for-one sin. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Of men. This is a universal sin that is committed by all. And because it is a universal sin that's committed by all, that all includes me. And it's a sin that provokes God's wrath. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. Let's think about suppress the truth. Let's imagine that this table is a spring, a really strong spring, the kind of springs that, you know, keep heavy equipment up, right? The kind of springs that keep your car up off the ground. Think of it as a big spring. And I'm going to push against this spring as hard as I can. And I'll put all my weight into it. I'm going to put all my effort into it. I'm going to push against the spring, and what's happening? Nothing. Nothing's happening. But this is an image of when we try to suppress the truth. With all our strength and all our might, we try to push down and suppress the truth. Well, guess what? The truth pushes back. The truth pushes back. And no matter how hard we try to suppress the truth, the truth of God pushes back. 
and we can't do it. We cannot be successful in suppressing the truth. But suppressing the truth is the act of ungodliness and unrighteousness that the wrath of God is being revealed. And any time we see the truth of God, we understand the truth of God, we try to suppress it, we try to reject it, we try to throw it away, The truth of God will prevail. The word of God always pushes back. It will stand firm. It will not fail. No matter how we try to push against it. And this passage is describing the sin of trying to suppress the truth of the word of God. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, what about the person who's never heard about God? For what can be God uh, known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, what about that person who's on the island and they haven't heard about God? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, what about that relative I have who hasn't really been exposed to the message of the gospel? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The truth of God being revealed to all of humanity. How? How? How does God get that done? How is it possible that every person on the island, every person on that continent, every person in that far off town, how is it that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown to them? How is that possible? Well, the next verse explains, verse 20. For his invisible attributes. So there are things about God that cannot be seen with the human eye. His invisible attributes, namely two things. His eternal power. So with my eyes, I can't see God's eternal power. And his divine nature. With my eyes, I can't see his divine nature. So these two things, his eternal power and his divine nature. For his Invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Wait a minute. I thought they were invisible attributes. How is it that they can be clearly perceived? His divine nature, his eternal power, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Creation Itself, since the moment of creation, every human being has had the opportunity to see the invisible attributes of God, his eternal power, and his divine nature in creation. Existing in creation has been all that any person has needed to be able to clearly perceive what is plain and what has been shown and that is God exists, he's eternally power, and he has, divine, he has divine nature. Creation communicates God's eternal power and his divine nature to every person plainly. So, they are without excuse. Well, what about that one person who, you know, they're really distant, so they are without excuse. Well, what about my family member who... So they are without excuse. There is no person you will find in all of humanity, past or present, who will have an excuse to not have clearly perceived God exists, 
his eternal power, his divine nature. Because this passage is saying that it is clearly perceived and that God has made it plain and he has shown it. This idea of being without excuse is having no reply, no response. So this doesn't mean people are going to make excuses and their excuses aren't going to cut it. It means they're not even going to be able to make the excuse. There is no room for reply. There is no room for response. They are without excuse. And the they in this passage includes me. So I am without excuse, without response to God's judgment. Verse 21, for although they knew God, because God's made it plain, he's shown them, now it says they know him, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, so they didn't worship him, even though they knew God exists, they didn't worship him or give thanks to him, and that's, that's, that's refusing. So, so they know him, but they're not honoring him, they're not worshiping him, and, and they're not giving thanks. They're refusing to give thanks to God. But they became futile in their thinking. So now in their thinking, they are rejecting God. For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. They're now rejecting God. And what happens? Their foolish hearts were darkened, turned the lights off. The illumination of the knowledge of God's existence, his eternal power, his divine nature clearly perceived but in refusing God and rejecting God, turn the lights off. In their hearts, they turned the lights off. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So God has invisible attributes. He's made them visible in creation to be clearly perceived to everyone and there are no excuses. So what happens when someone rejects the righteousness of God? Well, rejecting the righteousness of God leads to three exchanges, and this passage is going to describe three exchanges that take place. And rejecting the righteousness of God leads to these three exchanges. And when we come into contact with the righteousness of God, I think the fair thing to say is it's terrifying Coming into contact with the righteousness of God is terrifying. A holy God who is totally righteous is terrifying. And when we reject him, then we try to replace him. Replace him with something different that won't be so terrifying as a righteous God, a holy God. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged. So this is the first exchange. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they trade the holy God for that which is unholy. They trade the creator for the creation. They trade the righteousness of God for their own unrighteousness. And this is number one. The glory of God is exchanged 
for images of creation. It's a horrible exchange that takes place. The glory of God is exchanged for images of creation. Now, what people don't understand is people who try to reject God and try to ignore God, and we all know people who try to reject God and they try to ignore God. What they don't understand are the divine restraints that God has already placed on their life that are at work. They don't understand the divine restraints because of God's holiness and his righteousness that are at work in a person's life, even though they're trying to reject him and ignore him. And this results in a decaying culture as the divine restraints are removed. Because when God removes his divine restraints, people are now fully exposed to the enemy. People are now fully exposed to sin. And we see what happens, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up. This is the first time in this passage out of three times it's gonna say God gave them up. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. There were divine restraints in place, uh, you know, kind of keeping at bay, if you will, the lust of heart. But now God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, really the mutilating of themselves. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Divine restraints are removed. They've exchanged the glory of God for images of creation and God gives them up to sin. And when people, explain, when people exchange the glory of God for images of creation, it results in a decaying culture where God gives them up to the lusts of their hearts and when God gives people up to sin, guess what happens? They will sin even more. When God gives people up for sin, they'll sin even more. Verse 25, because they exchanged, second time, we're seeing the word exchanged, because they exchanged the truth about God, and what did they exchange the truth of God for? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What a horrible exchange. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So they have the truth of God, they reject the truth of God, they accept a lie instead. It's horrible. When we see Jesus experience the full assault of Satan himself in the temptation in the wilderness, when we see Jesus experience the full assault of Satan himself in the temptation in the wilderness, how does Jesus fight back? He fights back by quoting the word of God. And what we see here is that people are exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. There's a resource I've shared with you. It's from Ligonier Ministries. It's called the State of Theology. It's a survey that they did. And I want to share with you two statements. I've shared one of them before, but I'm sharing it again today. Two statements about seeing. This is about the United States. This is about adults in the United States and the exchange that is happening, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. So statement number 16, the Bible... The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. So it's a statement. And they want to see how adults in the United States are going to respond to this statement. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful account of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 2014, 41% agree. 2016, 44% agree. 2018, 47% agree. 2020, 48% agree. 2022, 53% agree. 
Now over half of the adults in the U.S. who took this survey believe that the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful account of ancient myths, but is not literally true. This is a clear description of the sliding of the decay of our culture right now. Year by year, do you see the rapid nature of the slide? That number just keeps going up. How about this? This is statement number 27. Gender identity is a matter of choice. Gender identity is a matter of choice. It's a statement, and they want to see how are the adults in the United States going to interact with this statement. 2016, 38% agree. 2018, 38% agree. 2020, 38% agree. Oh, okay. Things are holding fast. Uh Uh-oh. 2022, 42% agree. This one just shifted. This one just shifted. This one just broke loose in our country. Gender identity is a matter of choice. Do you see the decay? Do you see the slide? Do you see the the twist that just happened here? 4% increase over two years. Starting to shift. Starting to shift. Number two, the truth of God exchanged for false worship. It said they, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Number two, the truth of God exchanged for false worship. So the result of the truth of God exchanged for false worship, the result of this is it leads to a decaying culture. As the divine restraints, because God's given them up to their sin, divine restraints are being removed. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. Oh man, we see it again. God gave them up. This is the second time now we've seen. God gave them up to what? To dishonorable passions, vile passions, evil passions, longings, lustings, desires that are wicked. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. When people exchange the truth of God for false worship, it results in a decaying culture where God gives them up to dishonorable passions. And when God gives people up to sin, what happens? They sin even more. And we see this in verse 26. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, against nature. Verse 27. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their heir. Why is it that the Apostle Paul, as he's trying to explain the exchanges that take place and the decay that's taking place, why does he use this example? Well, I think he's using this example because it's the clearest expression at that time of the depth of perversity that the culture had gone into. Usually, When we think about perversity, we think about guys, men, perverting. Here, he says, even the women. Not just the guys. It's so bad, even the women. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, against nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The culture just sliding in decay. Oh, what about our own culture? What about our own culture? What's going on in our own culture? 
Well, a friend of mine shared with me from the California Family Council a list of the California Family Council's opinion of here's the 10 worst bills in California right now. 10 worst bills. The, I didn't make this list, California Family Council, but it's pretty interesting to read what their opinion of the 10 worst bills are. AB 957, parents to lose custody of kids over transgenderism. AB 665, minors can consent to counseling without parents. ACA 5, repeals traditional marriage proposition 8 from state constitution. Let's keep it going. What's the next one? AB 315, enables suing pro-life pregnancy centers over misleading speech. AB 1078, prevents local control of books, curriculums, and public schools. SB 345 replaces term unborn child with fetus in state laws. AB 659 mandates HPV vaccine for public and private school teenagers. SB 58 legalizes mind-altering magic mushroom for recreational use. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> Don't get any ideas. AB 1432 required insurance companies to cover abortions and trans treatments. AB 5 LGBTQ indoctrination training for teachers. The culture just slides. Number three, the design of God exchanged for destructive relationships. The design of God is exchanged for destructive relationships. The result is a decaying culture as divine restraints are being removed. In verse 28 it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. This is the third time now it's saying God gave them up. God gave them up to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, a mind that is ruined, a mind that's ruined, to do what ought not to be done. When the people exchange the design of God for destructive relationships, it results in a decaying culture where God gives them up to a debased mind. When God gives people up to sin, they're going to sin even more. And at some moment, all that's left in people is sin. They're full of sin. Verse 29, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. Slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, because there's not enough evil already. Let's invent some more evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And this is just a representative list. This is not all of them. He's just making a point of look at all the ways. And then verse 32. Though they knew God's righteous decree and those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. I'm gonna read that again. Though they knew God's righteous decree and those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Wow. You know, when I read this passage, even right now, this passage is very sobering to me personally because I cannot read this passage and somehow avoid my own sin because I understand that I'm guilty. I understand I'm a sinner. And I can't read this passage and go, you know what? I'm clean. I'm good. I haven't done anything wrong. No, I read a passage like this and I go, wow, God. Wow. Have I missed the mark? So what am I going to do with my guilt? Well, it needs a solution. What are you going to do with your guilt? It needs a solution. And that solution is a savior. That solution is Jesus Christ, which is what the gospel is about which is why Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what do we do? Well, we do this. We're living by faith in the righteousness of God even when the culture is decaying all around us. We're living by faith in the righteousness of God even when the culture is decaying all around us. We come back to living by faith in the righteousness of God even when the slide is happening all around us. We come back to living by faith in the righteousness of God. As individuals, as families, as a church, we're supposed to be different than the culture. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to act different. We're not supposed to be the same. We're supposed to be set apart, holy. And I want to share with you a little bit about what's going on with my wife and I in our own family. As God has been working in our lives through this process, we're just a family among our church that God is at work in. And I want to share with you a little bit about how God's been at work. My wife and I are so thankful that God has transformed our lives. And when we bring a gift to the Lord, we bring a gift from a place of being transformed because God has transformed our lives. And because God has transformed our lives, we are joyful when we bring him a gift. We are thankful when we bring him a gift. We want to bring him a gift. We're excited to bring him a gift because God has transformed our lives. We give from a place of being people who have been transformed by God. And it was back in September that my wife and I had a conversation. And this is how the conversation went. Before I can stand up and ask anybody to sacrifice and give over and above what their regular giving is to the Lord, to sacrifice and give over and above that towards this project. For me to have integrity and for me to have authenticity, we need to start giving now. And so in September, my wife and I redid our entire budget. We had to get rid of a lot of expenses. We had to sacrifice a lot of things because we felt like to lead with integrity and to lead with authenticity, we needed to start giving sacrificially. So in October, we began giving to Built to Last and we began giving sacrificially as a family. And we gave in October and we gave in November and we gave in December and we gave in January and we gave in February. And I want to tell you about what God did. During those five months, God brought five, six, seven places of income to our family that we had no idea were coming. And the amount that God gave us that we had no idea was coming was over double the amount that we gave in those five months. And one of the things that we felt like we were sacrificing was we were sacrificing some goals we had as a family, which was tough for us. We're a big family. My wife and I are working hard. We're trying to meet some goals together as a family. 
And at the beginning of February, we were able to still meet that financial goal that we had. And we were able to give because God poured out his blessing on our family. And we didn't give to get. That wasn't the reason we gave. But we gave, we gave sacrificially, and God poured out his blessing on our family. And what that allowed us to do was in March, we were able to increase our commitment to what we were giving on a monthly basis. And my wife and I are super excited this weekend that we're turning on our commitment just like the rest of the church family is turning in the commitment. We're excited because we're seeing how God's at work in our family. We're seeing how he's providing for us. And this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to take a moment for all of us just to take a moment to pray. My wife and I have prayed constantly through this process because we really want to hear from the Lord. We really want to know what does he want us to do? And we're going to take some time right now as a church family to pray because we want to hear from the Lord. We want to know what does he want us to do? And so I'd encourage you to take that out and just hold it in your hand and we're going to take some time just to seek the Lord together as a church family that we might be obedient to him in whatever he's asking us to do. And what I'm asking you to do, my wife and I have been doing also. We're in this together. And we're praying and we're continuing to seek the Lord. So let's do this. On the screen, you're going to see a verse. And the verse is Hebrews 11:6. And it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I just want to encourage you to take some time, consider that verse, take some time to pray, and to pray over your involvement with this card that you would know what God might want you to do. So let's take some time to do that right now in prayer. Father God, Lord, we want to honor you. We want to be obedient to you. And I don't know how you're going to lead all of us as individuals. I don't know how you're going to lead all of us collectively, but we're trusting that you will. And so God, please lead us. We're asking for you to lead us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. amen.